Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Frugal Snobs podcast, the award-winning on-demand audio experience that has never won an award, but that could all change. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music, or check us out on Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. Find out more by visiting frugalsnobs.com. While you're there, be sure to help out the project by taking the Pontract survey, directly donating via PayPal, or by doing your Amazon shopping through the Frugal Snobs associate link. We also invite you to follow us on Twitter at Frugal Snobs or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Frugal Snobs. And now, on to the episode. Hey everybody, this is Justin from FrugalSnobs.com and welcome to episode 95 of the Frugal Snobs podcast. Today is Sunday, May 7th, 2017. Brock's with me. Say hello. Hello. So I thought everybody might have missed us last week, but we were busy. And we have a couple of things to talk about this week. This week, the episode basically centers on frugal habits. We're going to talk about some of our freebies, some of our new bills, some app updates. A lot, a lot of things going on. Yes. A lot of stuff. So we are also on our march to episode 100 of the Frugal Snaps podcast, which will be coming up uh, closer to the 4th of July, uh, 2017, this year. Got a lot of things going on. Oh, yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, folks. So let's go ahead and get into the episode this week. Kind of just hanging out. Yeah, for the most part. But a lot of things going on. Um, we got some new bills we want to talk about. Some so, good savings. Yes. And you also have a really good tip, and I think we should make a video for the YouTube channel. And by the way, folks, if you have not subscribed to this podcast or the YouTube channel for the Frugal Snobs, shame on you. So get out there and subscribe, share, like, tweet, uh, post, comment, etc. And make sure that you also subscribe to this show if you haven't done so already throughout the web. You can find a full list of networks at FrugalSnobs.com. And please, please, please do go out there and watch the videos on the YouTube channel and also subscribe to Frugal Snobs on YouTube. Okay. So we'd like to put together a video for this eventually, but we're going to talk about, I think your first tip is the ball jar tip. Yes. So this is a really cool tip, everybody. Christina mentioned it to me. I thought she was crazy. And of course, I was wrong. So this week, Christina ordered, what, a case of 12 pint? Yes. 12 one pint ball mason jars. Yes. And Christina had this claim after watching a video that you could actually take a standard blender, like a, a standard uh, tabletop or, or, or countertop blender. You can take the bezel, I should say, off the bottom, the, the threaded section with the blades, separate it from the actual uh, carafe component, and supposedly the blades with the threaded bottom would actually fit perfectly on the top of a mason jar. Now, I thought you were crazy. You were completely skeptical. I was. And I was shocked what it actually worked. So Your face was priceless. <laughs> yeah, folks. So yesterday, here at the, the Frugal Snob studio, at the crib, if you will, uh, we decided to test out this theory. So we took one of Christina's brand new ball mason jars, one pint, took off the lid, and basically uh, retrieved the carafe from our blender from the dishwasher after being sanitized and washed, dried, etc., we took the bottom off, the threaded section along with the blades, cleaned off the blades and the seal, etc. Took this uh, apparatus and attached it perfectly threaded to the top of the mason jar. Granted, we started with a test of just water in the jar. But it created the uh, what, what we call the funnel effect. Yes. So it does create the funnel effect. So you have to be careful when you, when you actually place the threads uh, to the jar, folks, because you don't want the blades to move. Yeah. So they have to be flat, and also you have to be very careful when you do that. But once you do that, you should be good to go. So we were able to, of course, uh, whip, chop, blend, etc. water first. And then Christina was kind enough to make me a Honduran fair trade protein-infused coffee with a little bit of Irish cream in it. 
Um, and again, whipped it using a mason jar and a blender base. Yes. That is too cool. So now what that means, to Christina's point yesterday when I geeked out over this, is that we can now have individual protein smoothies, individual drinks, frozen drinks, etc. Especially since we have different physical goals that we want to achieve with our body. That's right. You, you have a certain set of goals as a female, and I have, of course, bulk and gaining weight as a male. Yes. So, really cool. I think it's really, really cool. In fact, we, it's so cool, we went out to our local Target store today and picked up two cases of quart-sized mason jars um, and two cases of pint-sized. Um, and when I say a case here, folks, I mean a case of 12. Yes. Uh, pint uh, mason jars. So we have a lot of mason jars now. But and also yesterday I stocked up on my traditional Powerade to make mm -hmm. my protein shake. So the sport, the, basically a sports drink. Yes. Because we can't say Powerade on this show. They're not sponsored. <laughs> but it's my it's my sports drink of choice. So, um, but yes, and we also ordered some protein as well. And I'll go ahead and just say that. What, did you order Body Fortress? Yes. So we ordered enough Body Fortress for a while. We still have some Body Fortress left, but we're running out of vanilla. So this is really cool. I think it's really cool be, to be able to, of course, make smoothies really quickly. Uh, using the blender method, and then putting a lid right on them from the ball jar or the mm -hmm. mason jar, and then just throwing them in a backpack, a briefcase, a purse, whatever. Um, as long as that lid's on tight, you should have no problems. It shouldn't break. It's a, it's a heavy glass jar. Yeah. So, you know, you, you mix that, you take the, the threads and the blades off, you put your lid on it, or if you're just going to go straight from the blender, uh, just take uh, the blender base off. Enjoy. Enjoy. Throw a straw in it, whatever, and enjoy. Now, I was talking about this as well. Um, the Magic Bullet, if you remember that, mm -hmm. they had a neutral bullet and all kinds of other things, too. But the Magic Bullet had the same kind of concept, but instead of using the blender piece, the attachment, they used basically a cup attachment with threads on the top that you could put a, basically a snap-top lid on to cover the threads. But it's the same concept. You just basically take the plastic uh, cup or whatever with the handle, you put the base on it, you flip it over, you mix your drink or whatever, and then you take that off and put the threaded cover on top of that. Um, they, they basically showed it for mixed drinks at like a like an outside pool bar setting. Um, I'm thinking for like margaritas, <laughs> perfect for margaritas, so or Bloody Marys or anything else. So, <clears throat> excuse me, folks. So that is interesting. So we're gonna keep moving forward with this. It also lets Christina pre-make a lot of her smoothies as well. Same time in the morning, start of the week. That's right. I'm just thinking a little bit of yogurt, uh, peanut butter, whole milk, a banana. It's a protein powder. <laughs> Done. Awesome. At least for me. Yeah, and that'd be a good breakfast for you, especially with how rushed our morning some, or, sometimes can or be. Or just a supplement. I think, you know, especially on, on, the, on the, the goals that we both have, I think if we supplement food differently, mm -hmm. like if I were to eat three, you know, decent-sized meals a day plus supplement with a heavy shake or two smaller shakes, that should get uh, at least me to, toward my goals as well as working out. And for you, I don't know if you're going to be doing, you know, supplements or whatever you're going to be doing. I don't know if you're going to be doing, like, you know... Uh, sensible meals in terms of certain chemistry for your body or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea how it's going to work. I, I, I'm still figuring that out. I'm I'm not a female, so I don't know these things. I'm, I'm looking into a quote-unquote detox program. Yeah, be careful with that. Exactly. I mean, but it's made out of smoothies. Be um, careful with that. So you still get a lot of nutrients, plus I do take a supplement, plus eat sensibly, and... You just gotta... It, it just becomes habit. Yeah. That's all it really does. And um, I think this will help us get to habits. Plus, not to mention, I mean, we try to save time. I mean, I think everybody knows that as we've been working on the Frugal Sounds project, whether it's the videos online or the posts or the podcast, we've had to really rethink and rescale some things just because of time. Yeah. So we still want to bring everyone an entertaining video and audio experience. Um, 
but again, if you've noticed, we've also cut some of the shows down to shorter time frames or every other week versus every week in some cases. It's not because we can't record episodes every week. We're just too busy. We're either just too busy or nothing really happened that week. (laughs) (laughs) And we want to give you good entertainment. That's right. It's like nothing really happened this week, so what are we going to do, sit here and run our mouths for an hour? It's not not cool. I mean, if we're going to be running our mouths for an hour, it might as well be something you can enjoy and actually take something away from and benefit from. So, all right, that is the mason jar tip. Yes. So we are, we'll be putting out a video on this as well, probably in the next few weeks yeah. on the YouTube channel. So do get out there and subscribe to the YouTube channel. While you're out there, you can check out all the currency review videos. And we actually have a new one. The audio is actually at the end of this podcast, so stick around for that. That is for the 1937 Bank of Canada $20 note in olive green. So Christina was kind enough to pick up one of these notes uh, last weekend. And we received it, what, on Wednesday? Yeah. It's past Wednesday, so it's a very pretty note. Uh, do check out the video uh, on YouTube. Uh, you can also check out the video at frugalsnobs.com from the video widget on the, the website. And, of course, the audio is coming up at the tail end of this episode. So, that is the Canadian 20 from 1937. You got anything else for the new bills? Um, we have a lot that have been ordered and we are waiting to re- receive. Well, you have a lot that have been ordered. <laughs> I have one. So, let's go ahead and kick this off with the $20 commemorative from 2015 yes. from Canada. Uh, this particular note's really cool. We, we actually saw this... Uh, not necessarily from images or anything at first. We we actually heard mention of the note uh, when I was reading about polymer notes online. And polymer notes, of course, are made of a, of a polymer plastic uh, blend, basically. Getting away from pulp-based or paper-based currency and getting into more of these longer-lasting, uh, more highly circulatable, more durable notes. Yes. Right? So you're not having to print them so often. You're printing less often, saving money. And also the notes, of course, are more durable. So... We wanted to get polymer notes, and I was out reading about polymer notes, and we already have, have reviewed, and check out the video on YouTube, folks, uh, the 1967 $1 Canadian commemorative uh, note. So do check that out. It's the 100th anniversary of the Canadian Confederation. Um, but we were out taking a look at the history of polymer notes and looking at what countries uh, produced polymer notes, what was interesting. And because we've already taken a look at the commemoratives at first for Canada... We decided to take a look at the 2015 release of the $20 note from uh, Canada as it commemorates the reign of Elizabeth II as the longest reigning British monarch, or English monarch, I should say. Yes. And um, the bill itself is really cool. A couple of metallic images on the bill. Uh, A hologram, which is really cool. So we had to get these. Oh, yeah. So we ordered these. These are also our first polymer notes. We'll bring a video to the YouTube channel uh, as soon as these these items come in and we're able to sit down and actually make a few more videos for everybody. Um, so that's the first note. That's the only note that I was able to acquire uh, <laughs> this week. Um, Christina actually picked up a couple of additional notes. You got yourself a 1937 $1 Bank of Canada note? Yes, at a relatively decent price. Yes, you did. You paid slightly less than what I paid for mine. Um, quality, I don't know what it's like until it arrives. Yes. Um, but you are continuing with your 1937 series. We're looking at a couple of fives also. Uh, to, to pick up as well, uh, since we both will need the five dollar note from 1937 um, as part of the endeavor. Now you also picked up from the Bank of Mexico two peso notes from the early to mid 60s. Yes, and that was the the hundred peso yes note and the thousand peso note. Correct as well. So I think this is the 61 to 65 series. I think um, so. Interesting. And then I'm almost done with that series. I need two more bills. Right. And then from there, are you going to basically keep the, the, the series or are you going to sell it off? I'll keep them for a while, but I will eventually sell them off. It's kind of like that's how you have to be when you collect coins, everybody, or, or banknotes or any kind of numismatist collectible activity. You tend to buy things for a while, enjoy them for a while, and then sell them off. Yeah. I mean, again, certain bills I will not part with. Anything that's U.S.-based that's probably pre-1960, 
I probably will not part with. I'll probably keep all those bills and probably all the Canadian currency as well. Um, maybe some historical currency like World War One currency or uh, World War Two currency, things like that. But anything that's around a historical event, I'll probably keep. But anything that's series-based, um, I probably will sell off. Um, to be honest, I'll probably end up selling off the 1937 series if I can only make it so far in the series. In other yeah. words, if I can get to the $50 note and nothing beyond that, or nothing beyond the 100 which would be the $1,000 note. And that's the only one you'd be missing. Yes, but it's also expensive. Yes, the, over $1,000 for the... Yeah, those are those things that you're not going to catch like on an online sale, like on an Etsy or an eBay or anything like that. You're going to have to get like an estate sale. Yes. Um, or like an auction. Which um, we could keep our eyes open for those, because they do have those around here. They do. They do have estate sales. But a lot of times with the estate sales, all you really find is, like, old antiques. You don't really find old money much. Um, but I also think, though, that banknote and coin collecting is a lot more popular than people think. Yes. Especially with younger people now. A lot of young people are starting to collect these things, because they're essentially an alternate investment. We talked about this on an episode of the show in the past. They really are. I mean, they're artistic. They're beautiful. They're very ornate. Old... Older banknotes are gorgeous. They're like works of art, and they're actually now incorporating them into works of art. So they're beautiful pieces. You keep them for a while. You can frame a couple of them, put them up in an office or your living room or whatever. Um, enjoy them while you while while you can and while you get enjoyment out of them. And then when you're ready, keep what you want, sell what you don't. Exactly. And you can also, um, in our case, we tend to buy duplicates of things as well on purpose, simply because we can keep one, sell one. Exactly. And if we keep things, and we also create series out of them, and then sell the series off, then we actually will make a buck. Exactly. So in making that money, we can then finance things that we do want. Exactly. I mean, basically, you buy to flip to get what you truly it's want. It's like real estate, okay? It's yeah. kind of like that, but on a much bigger scale because you're dealing with smaller volume items in terms of cost. It's no different, right? It's it's an alternate investment. I want, you know, these 20 sets of, I don't know, uh, let's say Mexican pesos or whatever. I want one. Christina wants one, then we have like eight or whatever left, or ten, you know, sets left or whatever, and then we take those, we create packages, we sell them off uh, in, in, in bulk, so to speak, and, you know, in other words, so many sets available, we sell them off, we throw a little frugal snobs ad in the envelope so people can check out the podcast or whatever, and there you go. And then you just take the monies from that, from that profit, and then you just roll it into an account or a fund to fund other stuff. Exactly. So you, you basically shop, you basically shop for stuff to flip it. Exactly. Just, I mean, your comparison was spot on. You just shop for stuff. to You buy to sell it. It's like real estate. Now, again, like I said, there are certain pieces that I will not part with. Anything pre-1960 that's U.S., I will not. Anything that's probably, you know, interesting in terms of the artwork but not valuable, I'll probably flip as well. And I'll probably flip them in a lot. So, for example, this Armenian two-drum note, the Jesus note, so to speak, there are several other countries that also did Christ-related currency. So... If it were me, I would look up those countries and see which ones are cooler. Yeah. Buy those and then sell the others off as a set. Like Moldova did, you know, uh, religious-oriented notes. So buy those, put them all together into a set, keep what you want, sell what you don't. Exactly. So, and by the way, folks, we will be putting up the uh, 1961 ruble set on eBay as well. Uh, it's the 1, the 3, the 5, the 10, and the 25 ruble note. So be on the lookout for those probably in the next week or so. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot of things going on with the new bills, and we're looking at some additional bills. Anything and, else you want to say about the new bills? And you're even starting to look at coins, just for the same series of the 1937s at least. I am. Um, I also think the coins are good for also selling purposes. So, <clears throat> pardon me folks, so for example, uh, when we first started this whole endeavor, Christine and I stopped at an antique mall in southern Pennsylvania to pick up, you know, just a few coins, just to start out. Well, there were duplicates of coins, like the 200 mark coin from 1923, um... 
It was a hyperinflation coin made out of aluminum, it sounded like, but just yeah. by tapping onto a tabletop. Or tin, even. Yeah, I mean, it's a very hollow sound. Or even even if it wasn't metal, it sounded almost like a wood. Yeah. Almost like that. Obviously, it's a metal, but it's a very thin metal. Um, but we bought a ton of those and then sold them off. I mean, we bought, like, I think we bought them for like a quarter apiece and sold one for four bucks. Yes. So, I mean, again, I was like, well, it's only $4. Yeah, but if you look at it... Do that's that a hundred times. That's a sixteen-time return on one coin. Yeah, I mean, if you do that over a hundred, that's sixteen hundred dollars. If you do it a hundred times, I mean, that's how you build inventory. That's why a lot of eBay stores and things like that that do antiques are wildly successful. Even now, I mean, years on from when eBay was hot, you know, and popular, it's because they have cool stuff that they probably bought for nothing. Exactly. I mean, I actually saw a YouTube video, and I'll, I, I I may go find it and, and reference it at thepurplesnobs.com, but. I found, um, typically every once in a while, everybody, I'll go out and look at YouTube for videos on currency or banknotes that we buy, that we buy, Christine and I buy, just so we get some more details on it, see what other people, what the other take uh, is on it, how they grade it, etc., and just hear some history about some of these bills. But I, I, I stumbled across a video of a probably a 15-year-old kid who explains uh, in this video that he uh, picked up a book that his mother bought at a... A, like a rummage sale, a yard sale for like a quarter, I think, an antique book. They open the book up, and out from the book comes an envelope dated May 1876. And in this this envelope, there's like 15 different banknotes pre-1860. And she got them in a book that cost a quarter. And how much money did they just make off those notes? Well, there was one note in there that was a colonial note in almost pristine condition. That note, probably at, like, a major auction, will probably sell for in the thousands. Exactly. Easily. And that was just from... A quarter. A quarter at a yard sale. I mean, you find that kind of stuff. I mean, I used to I used to go to auctions and stuff all the time. I mean, I have a salesman's Bible that is in storage right now in Texas, but I have a salesman's Bible, which is basically... Uh, it's it's basically a, a subset of a Bible that has... You open this, this heavy book, and there's multiple kinds of covers, like different leather designs and things. Uh, there's different um, calligraphy. For the, the the Bible that you're going to buy, because remember back then, folks, everyone had a family Bible. Like from the 1850s on, it was very popular to have a family Bible, a family tree, all kinds of things in the. So you had your own Bible, but you also had like a family Bible, and that's mm-hmm. very different. So the, the salesman's Bible was really cool. The ledger in it had signatures from 1825 and stuff. It was awesome. You know what I paid for that at um, an auction? How much? A dollar. Wow. It was in a box of antique books. A wow. dollar. Now, of course, the, the binding and stuff is a little bit damaged. Of course, it's old. But to pay a buck for that and to probably sell it in its current condition if I wanted to, probably in the hundreds of dollars at a minimum, not bad. Um, you know, also, in, the, in another box of antique books, I found a small book and I opened it. And it's the Old Testament only, but it's a it's a um, German Bible printed in 1902. That's awesome. It's a little tiny Bible. Also, again, box of books, bought it for 50 cents. Nobody cared about it. It's a box of old books. I mean, this is the kind of stuff, I mean, I, w- I would love to own an antique store. I really would for really cool stuff. And we, we, we bought some really cool stuff at antique stores for people. Um, your mom gets uh, gifts from you from antique shops. My dad has got a birthday present from an antique shop. And how did your dad react receiving that? Oh, his uh, old uh, telecom ads? Yes. He said they were really cool. He actually used to order out of the old uh, Western Electric catalogs back in the 70s. And he's still on telecommunications to this day. So he thought it was pretty cool. He's like, man, I used to order this stuff out of their catalog all the time. He took them and he's going to put them in frames in his office. So those ads from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you're not going to get those anymore. No. You're going to get reprints. That's the thing with the They're book. not the same if it's a reprint. No. No, it's a reproduction. I mean, same thing with notes now, everybody, with these bank notes. Some people can say, oh, we, we waste our time. We don't waste our time. If you know what you're looking for, you're buying a piece of art 
or an investment to pass down in your family. Exactly. Because I'm sorry. I would love to. I mean, I don't have kids. Um, but if I were to have kids or eventually have, let's say, great-grandchildren, let's say in the year, like, I don't know, 2070, 2080, they open up a box and they find notes from 1856. You're not going to get that in 2070. They'll geek out. Yes, because you're not going to get it. Exactly. They will be gone. They'll be burned. They'll be ripped up. They'll be torn. They'll be lost to time. Exactly, unfortunately. Yes. Because people don't care to preserve things. No. And that's kind of why I've gotten to the OCD point with my three-ring binder and taping see, things shut. Yeah, and... but see, you only got into this new, this whole like old money thing because of me. But you were also into antiques and antique glass and stuff like that. Yeah, you while. broadened my horizon whenever it comes to antiquing. Mm-hmm. So you old expanded money my palette. Cool. Yeah, old money, old, is mo- cool. old money is awesome. I'm actually looking at a few things, um, like a lot of three coins, 1937, 1938, and 1939, Canadian silver 50-cent pieces. Now keep in mind, though, in fact, I'm glad you brought that up. Everybody out there who is looking at collecting uh, Canadian currency, remember, their silver currency uh, is 80%. Silver, typically. It's not a full silver ounce or coinage. It's typically 80%, so be careful about that. Plus, uh, coins in silver in Canada were ceased in 1964, I believe. But don't quote me, possibly 68. Um, So definitely uh, check those out sparingly. But I think there's a lot of cool things going on that people just, they don't don't care about anymore, and it's sad. I I think, you know, a lot of people also say things like, well, we don't have the disposable income. To buy all these things. And I'm thinking, well, if you start Start small. small, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You buy one or two small things. You buy a bigger thing. You sell some stuff off that you get bored with. Right? I mean, you just become a a broker dealer at that point. Yeah. That's really kind of where we are now is that, I mean, the the podcast and whatnot, we tend to finance, you know, our coin finds with, you know, mystery shops or whatever. So we're not actually working for that money. We're just going to go out and have a good time. And spend the profit from it buying new stuff. It's it's recycling what we have to have more things. Exactly. So it's part of those frugal habits. Can we get in the episode now? Actually, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> can we get in the episode. That's a good segue. I went on a huge tangent, so we can get in the episode now. But it was very informational. So let's get into the episode. Okay. All right. So <laughs> the topic this week is frugal habits, and that's part of it, everybody. It's being frugal. It's not just being. See, okay. So let me, let me just make a, a clear distinction between frugal and cheap. I'm going on a rant, aren't I? But it's an informative rant. Okay, so being cheap is different. Being frugal is getting the most value you can for the least amount spent. Okay, that is frugal. Yes. Cheap is outright not caring about the value and only focusing on price. That's the difference. Yeah, when you're cheap, you lose quality. That's right. So, And when you're frugal, you're smart. Yes, you get the high quality, but not the price tag that comes with it. That's right. You're smart. What are you? You're smart. You're smart. So, you got to say in that frugalish, snobby way. Small. Well, why do, you, why do you think our intro is a British person? What's snobbing <laughs> a British person? No offense to our listeners in the UK, by the way. Um, but it's stuff like that where you can get the most value for the least amount possible. I mean, don't just blindly go into something and say, this is this much money, and I'm just going to buy it. No, you shop Research around. it. Yeah, you figure stuff out. I mean, think about it this way. Half of the of the, of the, the banknotes and coins we purchased, we could have easily been taken on. Oh, yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Why would I buy this from you for like 50 bucks when this other guy has it for 20? And it's better quality. Exactly. And it's also it could also be older based on the serial number. Or who signed the bill. That's right. You got to watch that as well. So, all right. So let's talk about some frugal habits. What are your frugal habits? You got notes in front of you. See, Christine always carries notes. I don't know. I try to be prepared. I'm always prepared, but I always have something to say. So. But also, you don't use notes because that limits 
how you it, react. It, yes, and it limits my creativity. Exactly. <laughs> I have the notes to keep us on track because one of our actual things to help keep you frugal is lists to help keep you focused. Yeah, well, I don't need a list. <laughs> I don't need a list that's censoring me because then I'll, then I'll look at something and say, I wish I could have added to the list, and then I'm right in the middle of a recording like I am right now, <laughs> and then I'll say this is not good, and we'll put it on the next episode, then we forget to put it on the next episode. So I at least then... keep a list so that way we don't forget it for the next time. Okay, I gotta calm down. <laughs> so let me take a, a sip of my of my chai latte coffee concoction here. All right, so what's the first thing on our list? Was actually keeping lists. <laughs> okay, so you have a list about keeping lists. <laughs> yes. All right, so I agree. I think keeping lists is a good idea, and I think from Christina's perspective, it also helps you when you're when you're trying to achieve a goal. Now, Christina has not talked about Monopoly for a while. But you have still pieces to go through. I have some. I have over 100 pieces to go through. Yes. So hopefully you're going to win something. And if you do, we're going to put it on the show. But you were talking about creating a list of the pieces that you still need. I have that. But what's really the but what's really the point now that you're, what, 20 days from the end of the month or so? And it's going to be over at the end of the month. So why even worry about it? Just go through the pieces and flip them. Or what I'm... The only reason I have a list is so I don't have to keep double-checking the board and keep going around the board and around the board and around the board to see if I have so it So do you have a list of everything that you need? Yes, I do. So you're just going to take your pieces and go, got it, need it, need it, got it? Yeah. Ah, okay. Do the Save need time. It, got it, need it, need it, got it, that kind of thing? Yes. Okay, so a list of lists. Another <laughs> way for us to keep lists is lists about the money that we're buying. Yes. So if you want to resell something, folks, it's going to be very hard to do unless you don't know how much you paid for it, right? So how do you know you're going to get profit? Exactly. You don't. So the best thing for you to do is keep a list of stuff that you want and stuff you have. So um, we also need to start working on an inventory yes. of our collections as well. I mean, categorize it, etc. Um, care about the stuff you have, so categorize it, etc. Now, that's a big difference between being a pack rat. Okay, we, we started watching back episodes of American Pickers. Oh my gosh. Those people are disgusting. So most people are just, and I don't say disgusting hygienically speaking, I mean just from their hoarding perspective. Oh my gosh. Like, some people couldn't even walk around their own place because they had so much stuff. Yeah, they basically had little paths they had. Yeah, Basically burrowed out. Burrowed? Wow. I'm starting to get your Pennsylvania accent. Burrowed. <laughs> burrowed. <laughs> burrowed in, into their collections of stuff. So, um, you know, I think that... Having lists for that purpose is a good thing, but having a having a list that's manageable is a good thing. So, what's the next thing on your list of frugal habits? Purchase with promo codes. Yes, yes. And here's the thing, folks. The thing about getting a circular or a coupon or a coupon code or a special offer that really chaps me, chaps me, is the fact that they give you so many at once. And like, you go out and you buy stuff just because you have an offer. That's stupid. No. Do you need it? No. no you don't get it. You should be purchasing th the things that you buy already and using promo codes or coupons or whatever at that time. Yes. That's right. Don't don't ever pay retail for anything. That's part of our, the Be Well, Never Pay Retail, right? Yes. So Be Well, Never Pay Retail. But notice, buy things that you need. Not that you want. Not that you want. Delay gratification kind that's of ties of, into it perfectly. That's part of your list. Yeah, it is. It's the next thing that's on right, the list. on the list. So, <laughs> so yes, delay gratify. That is a very good idea. Um... Also, I, I think sometimes when, when people start doing things, they overdo it. Like, if you pick up a hobby, like, everybody has to go get everything. Like, if you pick up skiing, right? You gotta get the, the skis. You gotta get the boots. You gotta get the goggles. You gotta get the hat. You gotta get the gloves. You gotta get the pants. Then you gotta get everything else, and then you figure out skiing's expensive. And you're gonna hurt yourself in the process. It's like golfing. I love when people go golfing. 
Because, like, I gotta have clubs. I gotta have a hat. I gotta have a golf glove. Gotta have the booties for the actual <laughs> golf clubs. That's right. The little top booties. <laughs> yes. say if I'm picking up this nine iron. <laughs> That's right. I gotta get this one wood. It's ridiculous. It just... Ugh. It's stupid. And then you figure out, oh, yeah, for me to go to the golf course, it's expensive. Or, oh, I have to have a membership. Oh, crap. That's expensive. See? You buy stuff as you need it. Okay. Not as you want it. That's as... right. And you delay gratify, okay? Basically by collecting things as you go through a hobby. Yes. This way you don't... When you get to the end of it and you start collecting things for your hobbies or whatever, and you start selling stuff off or buying new stuff that you were able to self-finance, it's even better. Delay gratify. Don't buy everything all at once. No. You do that, you're going to be stuck with a bunch of stuff. And what if you get disinterested? There goes your money. That's right. Because liquidating it's going to be really hard. Yeah. It's ridiculous. All right, what's the next thing on your list? We actually just talked about buy only what you need. So the next thing after that is high-yield savings accounts. Yes, we talked about this before, everybody. I mean, you're not going to see these types of accounts again. But back in, back in you know, maybe the early 2000s, late 90s, when internet banking was starting to come around, <coughs> pardon me, uh, you had bank accounts that had yields of 5 to 7 to 8%. I mean, HSBC was massively popular for that. So if you had a couple hundred thousand dollars you put away, <coughs> pardon me, uh, the $200,000 would yield, in some cases, $16,000 a year in just interest. That'd be great. I mean, you put away $400,000, basically you can live on the interest on your money. And that's it. That's all you would need. Essentially, you could probably stop working at that point or work on like a contract basis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot more people should start doing that. I mean, I know people are saying, well, a paycheck, it's a paycheck, and it's, it's consistent money. Well, so is interest. Yeah, so is interest. And quite frankly, let's, you still do the stuff you want to do. So high yield savings accounts, you're not going to find that anymore. You're going to find probably 1% or so. So you're not going to find you know, uh, a, a, an account that's, kind of, that's going to let you have that, that stream of income. But if it's a couple thousand dollars at the end of the year, it's like building a race for yourself. So put your money to work for you if you're not going to be investing it directly into the stock market or bonds or CDs or what have you. Especially if you're not going to touch the money anyways. Yep. Just let it just let it continue to recycle and work for you. Now, of course, the drawback to this, of course, now some accounts do allow you to have taxes taken out as you're accruing interest. Others do not. Um, if you are accruing interest in a non-paying account toward uh, taxes, uh, those accounts and the interest on them are eligible uh, or tax eligible at the end of the tax year. So just be careful with that. Uh, for example, I mean, I think last year I paid $600 in taxes on interest on, again, a high-yield savings account. So now I'm not saying not don't do it. Still do it. You know why? Because you're still going to make more money after the taxes than you would have made not having the money sitting in the account to begin with. Exactly. So you might as well take something versus nothing. I mean, at the end of the day, I think I ended up making about $1,400, $1,500 um, just from passive income. Yeah, not bad. No. Somebody came up to you once a month and said, I'm going to give you 120 bucks. Would you take it? Heck yeah. Of free flow cash? Absolutely. That's, that's bills to buy. That's, that's micro-brewed beer to drink. It's a pizza or two. It's a bill or two. You know, it's just not even doing anything to get it. Just keep continuing to compile your, your, your funds. Exactly. So, all right. That is high-yield savings accounts. What else? Digitalize everything. Yes. Don't, don't keep stuff around, whether it's content, um... Written word, anything. Digit digitize everything. Christina, you're already doing it with cookbooks and things and recipes for oh, your yeah. OneNote. Yeah, I and mean, the nice part is if, if you use the cloud like I use, it's it's amazing. You can take it to any machine, log on, and there's all your stuff. Well, here's how I look at it, though. Anybody out there that's a security person or, or freaked out about that, here's a, here's a very easy idea. Don't put stuff in the cloud that you don't want already taken. Exactly. That's why it's like... <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I'm going to go on a, a rant here. People drive me nuts that basically get mad because, they one, they think they're, they're so important that their data really matters. 90-plus percent of people, your data really doesn't matter. No. It doesn't. It really does not matter at all. Typically, if there's a, if there's a data hack, usually the only thing that's going on there is, is basically a hacking group uh, basically, or an individual basically just wants to prove a point. They don't really care about your data. And if they sell it, I know people are going to say things like, well, what about identity theft? Well, have you, if you've controlled your, 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 your online footprint, your data theft and identity theft should not be that severe. Yeah. It should be easy to take care of. Um, but again, people just, they don't understand stuff. You know, it's like, oh, just put it in the cloud. Well, the cloud's susceptible. Well, of course it is. That, well, that's why you don't put anything out there that you don't want taken. Like a cookbook, I don't think it's going to kill you. No. Right? Now, you put all your banking information out there. That's kind of like saying taking my wallet out of my pocket and holding it up with a million dollars in it. Who wants it? Who wants it? Who wants it? And then getting mad when somebody takes the money and gives you back an empty wallet. <laughs> he took my wallet. Well, you're the idiot that held your wallet up. I mean, I don't, keep, I don't keep much in the cloud. I mean, with... <sighs> I got to calm down. I mean, I have... Not a bad day. Not a bad day. <laughs> no. Ugh. But that's good. I keep my book stuff in there. I keep my work, um, like, guides for new people in there. It's like, here, send them a link via email. Here's some stuff that'll help you out. <laughs> or at a minimum, if you're going to put stuff in the cloud, at least do some things to protect it. Passwords. Password protected, encrypt it, do whatever you got to do. But do something. Exactly. And if you do nothing, don't complain. <laughs> that's right. Wallet, million dollars, hand in the air. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Who wants my wallet? He took my wallet. Well, of course he did, Nimrod. It's because you held it up. It, it, it shocks me that people are shocked that people behave a certain way. I'm like, well, of course they do. And I don't want to sound rude, but people need to have more common sense. And I think that's kind of like part of why we did the Frugal Sounds Project. Is people, we were shocked by people that didn't have common sense. I don't have time, you know, to, to do things. I don't have time to put my stuff in the cloud. I don't have time to shop around for stuff. So you don't have time to save money. Really? Really? Do you, don't have now. To, you don't have time to do the work. And to live by a certain code. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? You should. You deserve to have nothing then. Exactly. Because you're not willing to do the work. Because if you work now, the savings will come. You may not notice it, but it'll come. Yeah, it will. Eventually, because it becomes a habit. You know what? I have. I used to have mercy for people that didn't have much. Now I don't. No. You know why? Because I've seen real poverty before. You know, I've seen people who were so poor, they actually had, their skin was stained with dirt. Because they couldn't afford to clean themselves. That's poor. Okay. People here saying, well, I don't, I'm broke. I don't have any money. Well, it's your own fault, typically. It really is. I mean, learn to live better. Learn to save your money. Learn to finance your life better. You know, my dad always had a really good, good comment. And it's a very simple quote. My dad is a, is a man of very simple quotes that are hilarious. Two of them are, one, don't treat me like I'm stupid. I love that one. I always laugh. I don't know why, but I always laugh when he says it. I, I think it's because... When somebody says something that's kind of condescending to him, he's like, don't treat me like I'm stupid. I just, I just love how he delivers it. It's just funny. That's one. But the other one is he always taught me to always be able to afford myself. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Things you want, not just things you need, but things you want, be able to afford yourself. If you want a brand new Mercedes, you better have a decent enough job and career. Well, that takes education and time. Well, that takes studying and caring about yourself. You want that brand new million dollar house? Well, the same thing. It's going to take effort, right? Be able to afford yourself. And by the way, for anybody out there, and I'm getting mad. That's okay. Mad, but either gender, anybody who thinks you're going to marry into money, no. Be able to afford yourself without it because then when you're a couple of equals, 
It's a lot better. Oh, un- understatement. It's a lot easier. And besides, no offense to males or females that are trying to do that, to marry into a family of prosperity. You don't think your spouse sees that? Of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. And if they want to still basically tie the knot with you anyway, good for them. No, not for me. Sorry. Basically, get your stuff together or don't approach me. Is that nice? That's a very good point. Get your stuff together or do not approach me because I have my stuff together. Simple as that. All right, I'm in a bad mood, but I'm honest. All right. Is there anything else on the list? We just have two more things. Okay. Replicate, don't buy. Right. So Christina found found this interesting and so did I with respect to food. So listen, as a frugal snob, do you ever hear us really eat out that much? No. Other than reviewing pr- products, and then we have to flush our systems for days to deal with it. Yeah, because it's so... Full of fat, grease, sulfates sodium, and... sulfates, additives, preservatives, junk. I actually gain about three pounds every time I eat out. And it, Are you serious? It, until my body flushes it out. Are you serious? It's really? about three pounds. Wow. Really? Yes. I. Uh, why do you think I weigh myself on a daily basis? So you're going to tell me, like, let's say you go to Subway. Uh, Subway's d- different. The, I'm, I'm talking, like, the pizzas and the... So if you go to, like, fast food or a pizza. Yeah. Right? Let's say you eat a pizza. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's say we go to Papa John's get a pizza. They have decent pizza. Yeah. For chain pizza, it's decent pizza. Yeah. Let's get Papa John's pizza. You mean to tell me if you ate, if, if you and I got hungry on a Friday night and over the course of a couple of days ate a large pizza, as two people, though, over a couple of days. You My weight would me, be up. You mean to tell me you would gain between one and three pounds? Yes. Over... Four slices of pizza over a couple of days? Yes. Wow. Because of all the preservatives and sulfates and just garbage they put into it to make it taste good. True. And also so that it doesn't spoil. Exactly. <laughs> so, in fact, I mean, I think they did the, the, have you ever seen this experiment with like the, the McDonald's the, fries? The, yeah, the McDonald's fries or the hamburger. Yeah. They put out the burger, didn't age at all. The bun actually got hard but didn't mold. Exactly. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> this but, is why you gain weight when you eat fast food. But see, what really upsets me. As I understand, people grab stuff all the time, but the portions are, are ridiculous. And quite frankly, it's cheaper for you just to go buy a piece of fruit or something. But it doesn't taste good. It would if that's the only thing you knew you were eating. Exactly. I mean, look, look at this. Look at the diets of people throughout the world. Anybody who's eating anything fresh versus processed? I mean, we, we rarely eat anything processed. Yeah. We try not to. We were for a stint going on the process kick, and what did I first tell you? I don't feel good. Exactly. I didn't feel good at all. I felt horrible. Like, I felt tired. I felt uh, bloated in terms of, like, just weight. Um, I felt weaker, especially with workouts and things like that. I, just, I felt no energy, right? So um, definitely replicate. Don't keep buying it. I mean, if you see something that you like, maybe buy it once to try it, but then make it yourself. Yeah, and the thing is, once you know what it tastes like, it'll be easier to replicate because you... As, as If your palate's sophisticated enough, though. Right. Right? Because and if they, it's not, then it's going to be hard. But They say taste as you cook, so... Yeah. And then adjust accordingly. And clean as you cook, too. That's another tip, everybody. Yes. That's why your kitchen's not a mess when you finish cooking. Exactly. Or it looks like a bomb went off. That's right. So <laughs> clean as you cook. My dad always did it. Christina's starting to do it also. You always clean as you cook. That way, when when you're done cooking, the kitchen's clean. Yeah. I mean, we had to really adapt to the new crib, as you call the it. new crib? Well, because the kitchen's smaller. The kitchen's going to kill you. The kid, that's why I tell Christine all that the kitchen's going to kill me. Like, welcome to the kitchen. It's a galley kitchen. You, you bump something or something, kitchen's going to kill you. I mean, the, the stove is a gas range right next to the refrigerator. Again, kitchen's going to kill you. And then, and then, the dishwasher. We love the dishwasher. It's all digital. It's a very nice black appliance. And it sanitizes our dishes, which means it gets them really, really hot. 
and clean. Right, and clean. The problem is, though, if you <laughs> the kitchen is so narrow that when you pull down the, the, the front-facing door to the dishwasher, you hit the fridge. And vice versa, whenever you open the fridge, you hit the dishwasher. That's right. That's how thin <laughs> this kitchen is, everybody. It's going to kill you. Kitchen's going to kill me. So, but yes, definitely replicate. Don't keep buying stuff. I mean, it's more expensive to buy it. And when you can replicate it, you can do things in bulk. You can make changes. You can actually make it better. Exactly. And the nice part is when you make it in bulk... It actually saves you time later in the week because you have your meals prepared it and does. it's grab and go. It does. And like for me, I love a Monte Cristo sandwich. Mm-hmm. Finnegan's, the chain, which I don't think they have many of anymore, but we love, I, I love We're Finnegan's. near one. I know we are. But no one's ever there. Exactly. No one's ever there. Everybody, listen. Okay. For those of you who are familiar with the chain Finnegan's, love Finnegan's. I like the Turkey O'Toole Finnegan's. But uh, you get the Kilkenny chicken wrap. Yeah. And I usually get fries and... This free when they had it, the free Monte Cristo sandwich. Yeah, on the seventeenth of every month. That's right. We talked about that at a certain point on the show, but I think they've discontinued it. Yeah, it was only a six month thing, but it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was so awesome because I could get like, like I could get like a, like a turkey tool or a turkey sandwich or whatever, or we get you something and then I get the free Monte Cristo sandwich. Yeah, it's awesome. It was awesome. So I like a good Monte Cristo sandwich. The problem is though, they're so greasy. Yeah, when you get it from Benigans. I mean, when you pick it up, you can feel the grease on your fingertips. Like, and that's why I want to get an air fryer. You and this air... Okay, so everybody, <laughs> Christina wants an air fryer. So we can make potato chips ourselves and french fries and fried chicken and all kinds of things. But it's healthified. Healthified? Healthified. Whatever. <laughs> so Christina wants an air fryer to fit in our tiny microscopic kitchen, which I don't think we're going to be able to fit, but okay. Uh, I see where it can fit. I just got to clean it up. <sighs> okay. So Christina wants an air fryer. But anyway, I like a Monte Cristo sandwich. Now, I would love to replicate a Monte Cristo sandwich, but how do you do that? Well, you got to go taste one first. But after you after you either buy one or get one for free, you're not going to go go and eat that stuff anymore. That's bad for you. It makes you feel bad. You don't feel good. It's nice to feel good. It's kind of like, okay, as a cigar smoker, I openly admit, I am a cigar smoker. Do you think I feel good after I smoke a cigar? Yeah. Do you think I feel okay while I'm smoking it? Yeah. Of course I do. And then after it, I'm like, ugh. This is terrible. My throat hurts. It's gonna. Ugh. I smell like an ashtray. I uh, do. I not. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So again, <laughs> replicate. Don't buy it. And typically, you can replicate healthier and cheaper. Exactly. Again, you're not paying for that convenience fee. True. And Especially you, the convenience tax. Yes. Oh, God. A ten percent DC Metro elective tax. Yes. It's ridiculous. All but right. not every restaurant charges it. That's so. right. It's elective. That's yeah. why. So, I mean, fast food restaurants could never charge it. There's no way. They, McDonald's has. McDonald's charges this? Yes, they do. You mean to tell me to go get my fake burger. Yes. And my fake fries. They're taxing you to be fake. And my quart of Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Or whatever they give you now. They tax me for hurting my body. Yeah. Great. Perfect. It's only in America. All right. So, last thing. Don't buy name brand. You don't always have to have the best of the best. That's true you don't. I mean... Uh, for example, if you own things that are nice, you can always you know, skimp a little bit. Like, I'll give a good example. The, the Keurig machines. Mm-hmm. See a cup of coffee makers, right? You buy the K-Cups. Well, as long as as long as the brand of K-Cups you're buying has the DRM, at least for the Keurig 2, um, we have both a Keurig 1 and a 2, you can always, I mean, adjust for quality to maintain quality while not buying all these name brands. If I bought the Keurig K-Cups, I'd be broke. Because, I mean, for example, I'm drinking a, a, a chai latte, Right? Now, this chai latte is also infused with some Honduran fair trade coffee. Do you think I went and, like, bought, like, a $12 per pound bag of coffee? No. No! No! You spent, like, under 10 bucks a pound. Yes, I did. 
Yes, I did. By buying Harris Teeter brand coffee. And when it, you only bought it whenever it was buy two, get three yeah. free. Absolutely. So yeah. you got... I got a ton of... I got basically... I think I ended up saving $45 per transaction on that. Yeah. For four and a half pounds of coffee, I spent like, what, $32? No. Yeah, $32. Yeah. For four and a half pounds of coffee. Everybody's going to say, $32 for four and a half pounds of coffee? Well, yeah, because it's all kind of different varieties. It's whole bean, it's ground, it's Kona, it's not Kona. It's Sumatran blends. I mean, ugh, it's ridiculous. Coffee's a really good way to, to, to express this point. You don't need to always buy Nambrets. Pasta's another. Oh, yeah. Right? So you can buy pasta basically generically. You're going to mix it and stuff anyway. Um, that's typically easier. Now, other things, and I've heard people make the argument, things like Kraft macaroni and cheese... You can't buy, you know, the generic. I agree with that, but here's the thing. You can make your own mac and cheese. And there's actually... Ham, bacon, cheese. Garlic. There, garlic and bacon with a crust on top with some yeah. breadcrumbs. Oh. oh, yeah. Delicious. Macaroni and cheese casserole. Yeah. That's not the same thing as mac and cheese. Much better. And, to be quite frank, for anybody with the young kids or a family out there, I know everybody's going to say, well, you know, Justin, I have kids and, you know, everything needs to be quick and easy. I'm like, yeah, but... If you introduce them to a healthy diet early, it will help them much, much later in life. Exactly. Because I had a very healthy diet growing up. I ate a lot of fish, a lot of fish and a lot of steamed vegetables. And it helps because your palate's totally different. The way you eat, the way you perceive food, the way, the way smells affect you is different. Like, um, a lot of times, I, I would love to do an experiment. Like, if you took a kid who was raised on fast food, right? You know, so they're like five or six years old. You take a kid who was raised on, like, fruits and vegetables and things. And then you gave them the smells of each of these things. It would be interesting to see if, if either kid could identify properly what they were smelling. Exactly. Right, so you put the fruit and vegetable smell in front of the, the kid who's eating the fast food and vice versa and see if they can actually identify that smell. Now, to me, <laughs> I can't really smell fast food differences other than I smell grease. Yes. Essentially. And I've like, developed that smell. It's like, ugh, I can smell grease, right? Um, <clears throat> but a lot of people who eat a lot of fast food in their diet can actually smell the difference between a you know, fried chicken or a cheeseburger or... You know, a slice of pizza or whatever. I can't do that. I can only smell grease, yeah. essentially. Heat and grease. Basically, that, that thermal smell. Yeah. You know? Uh, the smell you might get, like, from, like, a heater or something like that. And grease. But beyond that, um, yeah, I, think it's, I think it's better for you to um, go generic. I mean, clothing is the same way. Um, if you're just looking for things like T-shirts or, like, you know, uh, things like that you're going to be wearing around your apartment or your house. I mean, you don't need to have everything to be designer. You know, and quite frankly, I'm just going to be blunt with people. If designer clothing, sunglasses, cars, etc. makes you who you are, rather than being who you are because of who you are as a person, no one cares. Exactly. They don't. I mean, it's great. It's like, oh, I have an Armani jacket. I'm like, well, then you must have low self-confidence. Well, what is that supposed to mean? Well, it kind of means that you're compensating for something because I don't need that. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I don't really admit, I, I do own a lot of leather jackets and things, and leather jackets are expensive. But I like the way they feel in my body, and I don't spend top dollar for them either. I shop around. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. Are we good here? Yes, we are. We are good to go. Good. All right, everybody. Hope everybody enjoyed episode 95 of the Frugal Sense Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode. We're also going to be hitting up Cap City Brewing this coming Tuesday, uh, May, what, 9th? Yes. May 9th. Yes. yes. This Tuesday, May 9th. We'll be doing a, an intro from Capsi to bring for the next episode of the Frugal Sense Podcast. So definitely catch that next episode. Again, check out all the videos on YouTube, including uh, upcoming the audio. So stick around for the $20 1937 Bank of Canada note. 
and all the other videos on the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out FruitlessNubs.com and register while you're there. Also, check out this podcast around the web. You can find it on Google Play Music, on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio, and on iTunes. If you haven't subscribed, shame on you. Get out there and subscribe. Be well, never pay retail, and we'll see you guys with the next episode. Hey everybody, this is Justin from FrugalSnobs.com. What's up YouTube? Barbara Snow, can we say hello? Hello! We have another currency review video for everyone this time for the 1937 Bank of Canada $20 note. Now we have reviewed the 1, the 2, and the 10 from this series, have we not? Yes we have. So on this olive green note, would have picked a different color, but that is neither here nor there. You see King George VI featured on the note. You see on the left side of the note the English accents for the Bank of Canada, and to the right the Bank du Canada uh, theming or accents, uh, similar to the other bills. However, this bill's a bit more ornate. So again, underneath the portrait of George VI, how many maple leaves do you have? Four? Yes. Versus six under the one, two, and ten yes. dollar bills. Uh, you'll also see, again, a little more accenting on the border for the 20s. Different ribbon, according to Christina, yes. on this bill. That houses the $20 in... $20. Yes. Sorry, I gotta say that with that French accent. <laughs> so, you'll see again, an interesting note. Um, the 20s are prominent on this note. Again, I would have picked a different color. But you do see a little more beauty in this note. A little more ornate work in the note as well. A little more incorporation of the maple leaves as well. A little yes. more patriotic. Yes, I mean, you don't typically have a maple leaf underneath the actual dollar amount symbol the two zero has and maple leaf under each one interesting so basically you have two maple leaves additional so one yeah. in each 20. interesting okay so anything else on the front side of this note other than the date january 2nd 1937 and who is it signed by oh coin and towers yes so this would indicate as the sign the signers of this bill the signatures if you will uh, for coin and towers uh, this bill is actually an older bill in the series so more of one of the original bills in the series from the early runs of this bill. Also, the $10 note that we reviewed as well as a coin and towers note. So, let's take a look back. So the allegory on this bill, everyone, again, with respect to the 1937 series allegories, is fertility. This is also the same allegory that you find on the 1935 $500 yes. uh, note from Canada as well. So Christina says it got a demotion, but here's how I look at it. Think about it this way. If you wanted to enjoy the artwork on, on the bills from this time period, rather than going out and picking up the 1935 series, which is quite pricey, you could certainly catch a bargain with the 1937 series and enjoy the same artwork. True. That is very true. So again, olive green on the reverse side of the bill. Looks like Setis is on this bill with an exposed breast. Yes. So this bill comes with a parental advisory. Viewer discretion is advised. Yes. So what else do you got on the back of this bill? Um, basically on the back of this bill, it has Ceres holding the wheat husk, or mm -hmm. the sickle, with a bushel of wheat. She's sitting on a pumpkin with a tree behind her. It's very autumn -y. Yes. It's very fall-like. Yes. So, very pretty bill. Yes, and there's maple leaves on each side of the allegory. Mm hmm And there is two large 2020 symbols on each side of the allegory. Right, so you'll see also on the on the allegory uh, backsides of the notes from the series, typically you will see the dollar amount uh, featured prominently. But again, olive green note, another representation of steadies with an exposed breast. And again, fertility is the allegory on this note. You got anything else you want to say about this note? No, I think we're good to go. All right, excellent. All right, everybody, hope everybody enjoyed the review. Please check out the other reviews here on YouTube and be sure to subscribe to our channel. And if you like what you hear, check out the Frugal Snobs podcast. Go to FrugalSnobs.com. Be sure to check out the podcast. 
and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Be well, never pay at retail. Thanks for checking out the video, everyone, and take care of yourselves and each other.